Morning, church. For those of you who don't know me, I am Aaron Peer. I'm the youth minister at this church, and I get the opportunity to preach to you this morning, which I'm extremely excited about. It's been a while since I've got to be in here with our whole group one service, and man, it's just awesome just getting to see this church worship together. It's just such an awesome experience. One small thing I want to say before we start is you probably got this big sheet in your bulletin. This is the life group material for tonight's life group lesson. So if you're a life group leader, make sure you get this and save this for tonight, or you're in a life group, make sure to bring it to life group. And if you didn't get one, there's a whole stack of them back on the Welcome Center. If you're not part of a life group and still want to go through the study, I encourage you to do that. So before we begin, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you so much for a church like this where we can come and worship. We can be encouraged by other believers, and we can grow deeper in our faith. God, I pray now that you be with all of us as we study your word, as we look at the book of Philippians, and help us to continue to find ways to find joys in different areas in our life. Speak through me now, God. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. Question, what, what brings you joy? It's a good question, right? I'm sure you've been asked it before. What brings you joy? Our current series we're going through is titled Joy, as we study through the book of Philippians. And the word joy is such a big feeling and emotion. It's more than just happiness. It's this feeling of completeness, wholeness, and this extreme amount of happiness. And we can find joy in a lot of different things. And I'm sure if I ask you the question, just one-on-one conversation, what brings you joy, you could come to me with quite a few different answers, and maybe you'd have to think about it for a while, but I'm sure you'd come up with something. And a couple different things come to my mind if someone was to ask that question, what brings you joy? Um, For me, one of the things that brings me joy the most is the sport of football. I, I love the sport of football. I will never, ever stop loving the sport of football because it's it's awesome. I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way in this room right now. Like I see smiles on your face. You're just like, I can't wait to go home and watch football today. And that's all I did yesterday was watch college football. And that you're the same way. My, my favorite thing about football that I can think of in all my time in my life is was in high school when I played. And the interesting thing is the most joyful times wasn't playing in the games. It was one day at practice that would happen every year. See, the first week of practice, you weren't allowed to tackle and hit for the first three days at my school. And then the fourth day, we got to tackle, we got to hit. And I just, man, like, I'm, I'm getting the itch right now. Like, you just got excited that day because you got to hit people. And man, I would, just, I would just go a little nuts that day. I would scream, I would yell, I would just go crazy. And I remember my senior year, my coach was like, if you don't play like that all year, I'm going to be so upset at you. I said, don't worry, coach, I'm going to go crazy all year. Like, I live for getting to hit and tackle people. That was my job. I was just, I'm an aggressive person, and I got a lot, of, a lot of emotion and excitement, so football was a great outlet for me. And so I get the itch every now and again. You know, I see football, or I'm at a high school game, and I just like, oh, man, I just want to go out there and tackle somebody. That sounds like so much fun. Football brings me joy, and, and it's one of those things that just gives, brings me a ton of joy. But more recently, something, I'm going to start crying, and brings me more joy than anything, was getting to see my daughter for the first time. In my life, I can't imagine anything bringing me more joy besides the day I married my wife than getting to meet my daughter, Layla, and holding her for the first time. Here's an adorable picture of her that we took of her yesterday. She is, oh, Kara and I just have so much joy from being parents now and having a daughter. And if you ask me now what brings you the most joy, it's, it comes from my family. It comes from being a dad, being a husband. And you probably can be in the same boat. I know a lot of you have kids and grandkids, and you get so much joy getting to hold them and see them 
for the first time. And we find joy in so many different things. And I want to talk to you this morning as we study through the book of Philippians, how we can find joy in pursuing God. We find joy when we pursue God. The last two weeks, Jeff has talked to us how we find joy in serving God and finding suffering. But today we're going to talk about how we find joy in pursuing God. Now let's talk a little bit first about what I mean about pursuing. Excuse me. Pursuing literally can mean to chase after something. And I don't want us to physically chase after God. The idea of what I mean by pursue is to build a relationship with God. That's what I mean by pursuing him. If we want to find joy, we need to find a relationship with him. And in this world, we can easily be distracted. We can easily find things that get in the way of us pursuing God. And in this world and in this life, we can easily be distracted. And it starts, and if we get distracted, we start putting energy into things that we want to put energy in, and we make it our priority. Sometimes we pursue money, we pursue success, we pursue happiness and sinful things. We even pursue the idea of busyness. And when we find ourselves pursuing things that aren't pursuing a relationship with God, we are robbing ourselves of the true joy that we can find in pursuing a relationship with God. So today we're going to learn how we can find this awesome joy in pursuing a relationship with God the Father. And we're going to do that by looking at Philippians chapter 3. And through this chapter, Paul, I believe, gives us three really important steps to finding joy and pursuing God. And the first step we will find is in the verses 3 through 6 in chapter 3. So let's go ahead and read it. It's on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Here's what Paul writes. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. The conversation Paul is having right here in these verses, he's talking to a group of Gentiles who are trying to follow Jesus, who are Christians. And Paul wants them to understand that they can have confidence in salvation by the works of Jesus Christ and not through their own human actions. See, the counterparts of the Gentiles is the Jew, and Paul used to be a Jew. And in the Jewish faith, it was the idea that you had to do these tasks in order to get your salvation, and circumcision was a sign of salvation. And Paul's saying, do not have confidence in the flesh for your salvation. Instead, you have confidence in God and the works of God in Jesus Christ in your salvation. Paul wants us to understand that salvation comes from the actions of Jesus Christ. So for us, the step we need to take in order to help ourselves find joy in pursuing God is to understand that it's by God's actions, not our own actions, that we receive salvation. It's not about our actions, but God's actions that we receive salvation. Paul wants us to understand that real joy, joyful relationship with God doesn't come from trying to mark off all the boxes to do all the right things, but understanding that a true relationship with God starts with understanding that you need God, and he is the one that saves you. He is the one that brings you that salvation. 
We think sometimes that we have to do all these good things. We have to make the mark. We have to win favor with God in order to get salvation. I don't care if you grew up in the independent Christian church, you grew up in a Catholic church, a Lutheran church, a Protestant church. Sometimes the idea that we have to earn our way into heaven creeps into our lives. We get this idea that, oh, man, I'm not, I'm not serving enough. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't do this enough. And then we think, oh, man, we've lost favor with God. But that's not the case, and that's what Paul's trying to teach us this morning. One of my my all-time favorite songs is a song called Last Kiss, and the band Pearl Jam performs it. And here's the chorus of the song. The song is about this this couple goes out on a date, and and in their car ride, they get in a car crash, and eventually the girl dies because of the car crash. And this this young man's singing about what happened on this night, and he talks about how he wants to to see her again in heaven. And here's what the chorus says. He says, Oh, where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I've got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. I have to be good so I can see her again. How many of us think like that at times? We think, man, i got to do all this stuff in order to win favor in God's eyes. We run ourselves ragged. We, we overcome ourselves with doubt, with fear, with guilt, because we're not living up to the standards God calls us to live. And eventually when we live like that, we just want to give up because we feel we can't make that mark. But Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, his letter to the church in Ephesus, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, he says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy made me alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works that so no one can boast, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says it's because of God's great love and because of his grace and because of Jesus Christ that we can have salvation. It's not by works. So you could do all the right things, be good your whole life, be kind, generous, loving, caring. But, huge but, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, If you haven't accepted the gift of grace from God, it doesn't matter. It's God's actions that save us, not our own. And the sooner we grab hold of that idea, the sooner we can live a more joyful life. Because growing up, you know, if I thought to myself, if I don't don't follow all my parents' rules, I'm a terrible person. Like, I would have failed a long time ago because as a teenager, as a kid, I did not succeed in always following the rules my parents gave for me. And we have to understand, you know, we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. And the good thing is we are saved by God's grace. And also the good thing is we can't use that excuse as, well, I'm saved, so I'm just going to live the way I want to live. No, when we're truly saved by grace and we truly have a relationship with God, we have this desire to live out our faith in honor of what God's love has done for us. Because God loves us so much, we want to love him back because he pursues us so, so much. I think about it this way. I know my, life, my wife, Kara, loves me so much. Like she has this deep, meaningful love for me. And I want to love her back because she loves me so much, even for my flaws, my selfishness, my pride, my stubbornness. She loves me no matter what. 
And we got to think about God loves us so, matter, so much too that we want to pursue someone like that, that cares about us, loves us that much. So if you want to find joy in pursuing God, understand that you receive your salvation from God, not from your actions. And when you do that, you'll have a more joyful experience in life and with a relationship with God. And when we're living for God, we become more and more like Jesus. Because last week we learned in Philippians 2.5 that we are to have the attitudes that of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the most important. And that brings us to our next step. And the second step is realize all things are nothing compared to following Christ. A big step in understanding how to find joy in pursuing God is understanding nothing else matters besides a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9 for this portion. It'll be up on the screen. But whatever were gained, gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, Je- knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I have considered them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul, in this passage, goes on to say that all his actions that he committed as a Jew to prove that he was saved, the pre righteousness, were really worth nothing. They don't matter. He even goes on to say, nothing matters except for Jesus. He says even, I consider them garbage that I might great gain Christ. So what applies to us in the scripture passages, we have to understand that nothing else really matters besides a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. So also what it comes down to is priorities. What's on the top of your priority list? What's the number one thing you devote most of your time and energy to? Let's face it, we all have busy lives. I mean, we, we can't deny that. For some reason, as human beings, we feel like we have to be busy. If we have a, a spare hour in our time, we have to fill it, which it's okay just to sit and do nothing. It really is. And we feel like the more busy we are, the better our lives would be. We have jobs, we have families, we have lots of other responsibilities. And when the busyness of our lives comes, we have a lack of energy, a lack of desire, and we just put something, number one, that we put the most time in. And Paul wants us to understand that the only thing that really matters in life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The thing that should fill most of your time is a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing more important in this world except growing in your faith and leading other people to Jesus. That's it. That's the most important thing on this earth for you as a, as a, as a Christian. God is to be our number one, and everything else falls into place after. This is what Jesus says on the topic in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14, verses 26 through 27. Jesus is explaining here what it means, what it costs to be his disciple. This is what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This passage can be pretty puzzling for a lot of people when they read it for the first time because whether you follow Jesus your whole life, never heard of him, or just know a little bit about him, you associate love with Jesus 100% of the time. That's what we associate with Jesus, the word love. But in this passage, Jesus says hate. He doesn't say hate evil, hate sin. He says hate the people you love the most. 
says, hate your mom and dad, hate your husband or wife, hate your kids, hate even your own self. And we read that and think, wait a second, Jesus, I thought you were a God of love. This doesn't make any sense. The good thing is, though, with a little context, we can better understand what Jesus is trying to teach here. See, in Jesus' culture, to put anything above your family, anything above your family was considered hate for them and neglect. And so for you to put God and your relationship with God before your family in that culture would look like you hated your own family. So to them, that's what it really meant. But for us, what it really means is, is nothing's more important than God and everything else falls into place. Mark Moore wrote this in his commentary. He says, compared to our love for Jesus, even our love for our families look like hate. Jesus wants us to understand that we are supposed to love and follow God the Father so much that everything else is below that and almost looks like we don't really care about it. And you might think, man, that sounds really bizarre and hard to do, and I don't think I even want to try to do that, to think that I love God so much that I don't really love and serve my family or even care for myself. And I understand that. I understand that that's a, a task that we look at and say, I'm not really sure I want to try to do that. But think about it this way. If you make God your number one priority, you make your life all about serving God, growing in your faith, and learning what it means to love and follow Jesus and love people, everything else will fall into place. If God's number one, you will be a better parent to your kids. If God's number one, you'll be a better spouse to your husband or wife. If God's number one, you'll be a better child to your parents. If God's number one, you'll be a better brother or sister to your siblings. If God's number one, you'll be a better representative for Christ in this world. All because you put Jesus first. If we put Jesus first, great things happen, guys. I'm not making this up. This is totally true. You put God number one, and you will watch the domino effect happen in your life where you're loving your husband and wife better, you're being a better parent, you're listening to your parents more, and obeying them and respecting authority. God doesn't have this idea mixed up. He knows what he's talking about. So if you want to have a joyful relationship with God, if you want to pursue God and find joy in it, you need to make God number one, and everything else needs to fall into place. So the steps we need to take to find joy in pursuing God is first, we understand that it's God that saves us, not our own actions. Second, we understand that everything else is nothing compared to relationship with Jesus. And third, we find joy in pursuing God when we strive to reach the goal to be like Jesus. Paul in verses 10 through 14 in chapter 3 of Philippians makes it clear that he is striving to reach a goal. And he will do nothing, he will stop at nothing in order to reach that goal. And here's what Paul writes in verses 10 through 14 in Philippians chapter 3. So let's read. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, to particip and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to this resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul in this passage states he wants to become like Christ. He wants to be able to give up his life to follow Jesus. And in verse 13, he says, I haven't yet taken hold of it. 
but he recognized, Paul's right here doing some self-evaluation. He's recognizing, I'm not perfect. I haven't reached the goal of becoming purely like Jesus, and I'm going to strive at everything I do to be more like him. He says, I'm not going to look at the past. I'm not going to say, look at the bad things I did or look at the good things I did. I'm going to focus on now and the future to become more and more like Jesus. If we want to find joy in pursuing God, we need to strive to be like his son, Jesus. And that's a great goal that we want to accomplish. We have all have goals in our life sometime or another, whether we're, we're kids, we're teenagers, we're adults, we're in later in life, we have goals that we want to reach. In high school, I had this goal in my head that I wanted to play football in college. That was my goal. Like I said earlier, I love the sport of football. It brings me a lot of joy, and I love to play it. And growing up, I realized I had some natural talent, but I knew I had to work hard if I wanted to reach this goal to play football in college. So starting at age 13, I started going to YMCA with my dad and started working out. And then my freshman year in high school, I started lifting every morning before school. And then my sophomore year, I started taking weight training classes and lifting before school and going to all the football camps I could to do the off-season conditioning and training during the summer. I, I found every single way that I could help reach my goal to play football in college. Even my junior year, I went out for wrestling to get in better shape for, for football. And if you want to get in shape, go, go be a coach on the wrestling team or go join the wrestling team. It really works. I promise you that. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And because I did that, I did all those things, I was geared my senior year to, to set myself up to get a scholarship. Key, key thing here, kids in, in school right now, and you adults, you know this too, grades are important too when it comes to trying to get to college. And I really missed that part of the whole aspect of getting into college, you know. My senior year, I realized, oh, man, I got to do better. So I took some, like, easy classes to get A's and, you know, boost that GPA, and it worked, you know. But kids, don't do that. Try hard, okay? I'm a bad example. <laughs> Sorry, parents. Sorry. Well, my senior year comes. The football season's over. I had a good year, and that, that winter I get, I get a couple scholarship offers. And, of course, I take one because that was my goal was to play football in college. That's what I wanted to do. But you could say, but I never, I never reached my goal. And you could say, well, that's unfortunate. You worked all that hard and you never got to play college football. And I, you could say that, but I say, fortunately, I, I didn't get to reach my goal to play college football. Instead, God called me to be a youth minister, to go to ministry, to forget about going to college to play football. And thanks. And, um, <laughs> and in that, you know, I still could have been like Jesus going to a uh, non-Christian school and playing football, but God was calling me to be like Jesus, to, to give up my life, my wants and desires, to serve kids, to serve teenagers. And it's, it's been a huge blessing in my life. If, it was, if I hadn't given that up, I'd never get to meet you guys. I'd never get to minister at this church. And it's because God called me to be like his son, Jesus. And when we have that passion and desire to reach our goal to be like Jesus, nothing's going to stop us. And we need to understand if we want to be like Jesus, we have to do everything in our power, everything to be like him. We have to find ways to grow in our faith. We have to find ways to serve him. We have to find ways to be like Jesus. And I think there's three very important things we need to be doing on a regular basis to be more like Jesus. It's we need to spend time in community. We need to be spending time reading God's word. And we need to be spending time communicating to God through prayer. 
Those three things are super important to becoming more like Jesus. First, when it comes to spending time in community with other believers, you're doing it right now. Church, Sunday morning worship is one of the best places for us to grow in our faith. Church is a great place for us to spend time with believers, to, to worship, and to grow from a message from God's word. Not only is church, but life groups. We have life groups at this church. We have Sunday school. We have adult Bible studies. We have Tuesday night prayer. We have all these things that are, are tools for us to grow in our faith. But guys, I, wanna, I want you to understand this so clear because this is extremely important. Just showing up is not enough. It's a great start. Coming in the door is a great start, but just showing up is not enough. Coming to church does not make you right with God. Participating in your faith is what helps you to become right with God. That means engaging in what's being taught. It'd be really silly if, I, if someone taught me how to, to fix my bathroom sink and then... It's like, I'm just going to do it my own way, and it never works. No, you apply the things that you learn, and then you act them out. If you want to be like Jesus, you learn what Scripture teaches you through being in community like church and life groups and Sunday schools, and you apply those teachings to your life. That helps you to be like Jesus. So we be in community to become like Jesus. We read God's Word. God's Word is this great instrument and tool that we have to use to help us understand how much God loves us and how we're supposed to live. And if you're not spending time in that book daily, it's hard. I need to read God's word daily in order to help me to be like Jesus. And do I, guys, I'm be, I don't, I don't. That's something I got to work on better. I don't read God's word every day. And I have to do a better job at that. Because I know the more I spend time in God's word, the more I become more like Jesus. But don't just read it. Apply it. Live it. Let it change your life. And thirdly, we need to spend time praying. You get to know someone through conversation. You get to know someone when you talk to them. And the more we talk to God, the more we know God, and the more we know what God wants for us in our life. God has a plan for every single one of us. And the more we talk to him, the more he reveals to us his plan and how he wants us to live it out. You can talk to God about the things you're going through in your life, the struggles you have. You can pray for the people in your life that you love the most. There's so many things you can pray for or pray about to God, the, it's, the limits are endless. If you want to be more like Jesus, we need to spend time in community with other believers. We need to be spend time reading our Bibles. We need to spend time praying to God. And a great way for all this to happen is to set goals. Paul talked about he wanted to reach a goal. You know, a great way to help you grow more in your faith to find joy in pursuing God, set goals. Set a goal to be at church every Sunday for the next two months. And you will see growth in your life. Set a goal to read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, in the next two months, and you will see growth in your life. Make a goal to pray 30 minutes every day for the next two weeks, and you will see growth in your life. Make every effort to be like Jesus. And when you make every effort to be like Jesus, you make him your number one priority, and you realize it's God that saves you, you find true Amazing joy when you pursue after God. So the question I ask, want to ask you guys today, the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, what are we pursuing? What are our priorities? Because, let's be honest, we've allowed busyness, we've allowed our schedule, we've allowed so many different things get in the way of us pursuing God. But the good thing is, guys, is today can be a start of a new beginning. Today can be a start for you to say, you know, I have. I've, I've put some things in front of God. 
And today's a great day to make a change, to say, you know what? I'm going to allow God to be number one, and I'm going to watch the domino effect happen in my marriage, in my, my parenting, me at school with my friends. I'm going to see God work in my life because I put him number one. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never, you're just here thinking, do I want to pursue God? And I can tell you that decision is so, I'm so glad made, Shane made that decision today because it is such an amazing thing to give your life to Jesus. Ten years ago today, or not today, ten years ago when I was 17 years old, I decided that I was going to quit living for the world and I was going to pursue a relationship with God. And I can tell you I've never had a deeper joy from following God than I ever did before when I didn't. You want to find joy, you want to find hope, you want to find purpose, you want to find life. Pursue God. Pursue a relationship with him. We try to pursue so many different things in so many different ways, but understand none of that stuff matters. It doesn't even matter because what matters is Jesus Christ. So I ask you guys today to reevaluate yourself, to think about, am I pursuing God? Am I finding joy in pursuing God? Because when you truly are pursuing God, you find this joy that's so deep, that's so strong, and so perfect that you want to chase after it every day of your life. So this morning, find that joy in pursuing God. Find that hope, purpose in life in pursuing God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for Paul and his letter to the church in Philippi. It's such a beautiful letter that paints this awesome picture about what it means to pursue you and how we find joy in pursuing you, how we find life, purpose, and hope. Help us understand this morning that we are saved by your grace, that we don't have to, to kill ourselves to try to never sin because, God, we're going to fail. But the amazing thing is we know that your son Jesus loves us so much. And, God, allow that love to change our lives, to transform us, and help us to lead a life that you want us to live. And, God, help us to find that joy in pursuing you. Help us to make you number one. Help us to strive to be like Jesus and to do the things that will help us to be more like him. God, help every one of us this morning to understand where we are in our lives, where we've put you on our priority list. And help us to see that you need to be bumped up to the top. Help us to see that nothing really matters besides having a relationship with you. And help us to understand and just to have the faith to know that when we put you number one, everything else is going to be that much better. We're going to be better parents. We're going to be better kids. We're going to be better spouses. God, help us to see your son Jesus and how important he is to us and help us strive to be like him. Help us to find that joy in pursuing you, God. It's your son's name I pray. Amen.